Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. Great. Um, anyway, today is the first day of Advent. Um, I grew up not knowing what Advent was. And now I'm finding out now it's very much like a calendar that gives you candy. <laughs> I just found that out. I'm like, Tanya's like, Matt, it's like super like, um, I, don't, I don't like the word secularized, but that's what it is. Like, it's like you get candy out of the doors that open up. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, I missed like a whole gap in the middle. But today is the first day of Advent. Advent is four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And the, the, I'll read this because I want to say it right. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus. It means coming or arrival. For Christians, it's the waiting, specifically looking to the coming of Jesus Christ. First, his coming to bring our salvation, and then his second return. So it's a time in our heart where we're kicking off the significance of who Jesus is. The significance of Christmas, that it's not just an event that we do one 24-hour stint, that it's actually working up our hearts to lead into this place of expectancy, almost the lens of how we view like this life around us. So welcome, day one of the next four weeks. So um, anyway, and that's what I'm going to talk on today. But I wanted to say one word as we were worshiping, I just had a, had a word for you, Shelby. Um, not everybody knows this is Shelby. She's amazing. I've known her for a few years. But I, I just felt this. When you walked in the room at the end back in here, I just felt the Lord like really wants you to know that you walk in authority. You, you're, the places you place your feet are strong, stronger than you know. And when you open up your mouth in a room, it carries weight. You're weighty. So I just felt the Lord say, remember how weighty you are and the significance of the woman who he's made you to be. It's strong. So anyway, just hold on to that. But I'm just going to pray for us as we start out. Lord Jesus, thank you for this family. Thank you for Karam Dale. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Way past what you promised for us in the future and the ways that you've given us to live right now, Lord Jesus, may we live with expectancy of who you are and what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. May we not forget, may I not forget that my circumstances don't dictate my life or the view that you get to, Lord Jesus. So Holy Spirit, be present with us. Let acknowledge how good you are. In your name, amen. Um, well, I'm going to kick off sharing a story. When I was five years old, my, my daughter Sayla's age, um, I have an older brother who's three years older than me. So two, these memories stick in my mind for how I viewed the world at a young age. So that summer of our birthday, when I turned five and my brother turned eight in Iowa, he got a new catcher's chest thing. I don't know what, you, you put it on to protect your chest as a catcher in baseball. And I didn't get one. And that made me super downcast, right? I was super disappointed. 
So the only way I knew how to make that mass injustice right, because it was an injustice, I knew I was called by the Lord, right? Or kind of tongue-in-cheek there, that I was meant to fix injustice. So I found the sharpest scissors I could, and as I was hanging in the garage, I cut all the straps off my brother's new chest thing. And I was like, oh, my insides felt much, much better, right? (laughs) And again, later that year, that fall, going into the fall, my dad used to be a trainer at the University of Iowa, and this is in the 80s. There was a star quarterback there named Chuck Long. And my brother got to go on, my older brother, I wasn't there. My older brother got to go onto the field, and he got the game wristbands off the wrists of Chuck Long, a Hall of Famer at Iowa, which I don't know if I'm saying much, but it is significant. And when he got home and showed me those, again, I knew the injustice that was going on in the environment around me, and it was wrong. It wasn't right. I wasn't provided for or loved, so I had to make it right in my own strength. So I did what any other kid would do at the start of the fall, in the start of September. I chucked those wristbands under the lawnmower and mowed over them, and oh boy, did I feel better, right? And then justice was solved. But here's what I'm thinking, at any perspective of our life, Don't we feel there's injustices in this world? I mean, there's mass things wrong going on in the world. I mean, we can look even back to this week of a shooting that happened just the city south of us that just wasn't right, right? Somebody took justice in their mind into their own hands. And that's not the way to do it. It's broken. There's so much broken in other ways. All of us can think of the injustice at this point of our lives, what we think should happen and what we need to fix. And the world is broken, right? And the heart of Advent is to realize there's hope beyond the brokenness. It's to put expectation in our heart that actually this world, our perspective, our immature perspective of what is going on isn't the final perspective, right? It's actually, there's a broader one that we need to live into. There is brokenness. One piece is like there was a hope that a Messiah would come, right? A Messiah would come, and they hope going in that one day this Messiah will come and redeem stuff. And the 400 years of silence going out of the Old Testament, there was prophecies from Zechariah and Malachi and Isaiah and Ezekiel saying one day God himself would come back to visit and redeem his people. And they're waiting and people weren't ready for it. (laughs) Because when he came, Jesus came loving, caring, helping, healing. He challenged the vision of the immaturity of what justice was supposed to look like to bring a whole new stage of justice. Jesus showed us what it meant to be human once more. And sometimes we're stuck in the wristband thing. But the wristbands, you know, and God's like, no, 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 no. There's more to come. And he says, it's better if I leave because also we're leading into the second advent. Advent is, yes, remembering what he did for us. He came and showed us what it meant to be human again. To say, how do you battle injustice? You don't battle injustice and brokenness just through revenge or your own willpower. 
You actually battle it through love and caring and actually waiting actively for something new to come. And then he promised when he left, he said, it'll be better when I leave. I'll give you the Holy Spirit that's here and I'll come again, right? I'll come again. And this is where we start, I think, when we are believers. What is wrong with the world right now? It's me. I'm what's wrong with the world. As believers in Jesus, as Christians, we're meant to say, what's wrong with the world? I am. The world does not get sorted out unless I do. The world is broken. And as believers in this room, I say, actually, we start with our own hearts. And this is one of my favorite stories. Wow, there's something going on up there. <clears throat> this is one of my favorite stories from the Gospels. It happens in Mark. Mark takes his, his friends out on a boat to go to the other side. And it said, as they're on this boat, there are other boats around them. So Jesus takes him out on the boat and he falls asleep, non-anxious about all the anxiety that's about to happen in the world around him, the injustice of mass brokenness of storm. And a storm comes up on the water. And the disciples are like, don't you know we're about to die? The circumstance of the wristbands or the injustice of this like baseball chest plate is taking over. It's going to dominate us. And they go wake him up, and he's like, Jesus, aren't you aware? And he wakes up in a calm, non-anxious presence and says, be still. And the circumstance about them just goes still. And their whole perspective of how to relieve chaos changes. And Jesus says a new way to be human is you don't need to solve it on your own. You need to wait upon a non-anxious presence of a God who loves us deeply. But this is what's crazy about being human. He said this unique little line in Mark said, there are other boats out there. What that meant, there are other boats going crazy too that were about to go down. And by the obedience of resting in a way of finding justice through Jesus, the other boats got actually the joy of the kingdom as well. By going through Jesus, actually our lives affect other people. By how we actually wait patiently in an Advent type of life through Jesus, other people's lives around us will be affected in the positive or the negative. We know this when we walk in a room and we're trying to cut wristbands, whatever those are to you. We know it affects people, doesn't it? Because we took it into our own hands and it hurts people. Instead of out of maturity growing up and saying, this lens of the world out of my immature circumstance doesn't define the whole reality. Because in Luke 20, he says, I will come again, and I'm going to redeem the world and make all things right. We're living in a world right now that, yes, we see the presence of God. The presence of God is right here. He's with us. Do we acknowledge it? Do we let him work in our lives? But it's also yet to come in greater ways. And that's the heart of Advent. It's actually preparing our hearts to live in a place of actively waiting. 
Not waiting, saying, oh, I hope it'll be better sometime, because that's the, that's the negative thing. You just think, like, one day it'll be better. Or you can look back the other way. We see some of us, the older we get, think, oh, it was way better back in the 90s. That's what I say, because I'm 40, right? The 90s were, so, oh, if only the U.S. was like the 90s. Wait, in 20 years, they'll still be saying the 90s were so good. We always think it was better back then, but he says, no, in the present moment, wait for me to show up and expect me to move beyond. There's three words of a posture I just want us to live out in Advent, to actually live present in the moment where you don't let the wristbands hijack your life, where we actually live with expectancy. I think this is a repeated theme in the Gospels of remember what I have done. Remember. Over and over again, do we remember? And I would say to us, I hope we have stories in our own personal life where you can think back and I go, I remember on that black sand beach that one day where my life was flipped upside down. And it shaped every single perspective of how I view people and the world around me over the next 20 years. If you don't have that story yet, I say, look back to Jesus when he's on the water. He's, that is your story. Remember, he's saying, your circumstance of the storm, your wristband, doesn't define actually what's going on. I'm going to wake up calmly and reshape it all. Will you let me? Remember. Hold on to it. Let the remembering shape you. And then we flip to the next one of hope for the future. Because we remember what he's done in the past, do we hope and have hope that actually the best is yet to come? God, I love right now. I, I love my life. It's hard at times. I slept on the floor last night in Bodhi's room. It doesn't give the best rest, but I love it. But there's something better to come. There's this cheesy story. I don't even know who it was, but I've heard it for years and years of the old lady who is uh, whoever the old lady was, right? <laughs> who was, she said, bury me with my fork. And we're like, why do you want to be buried with a fork? She goes, because the best is yet to come, right? Like heaven is yet to come. So super cheesy, I know, but there's something in that perspective that says this life doesn't define me. And what it also gives hope for the future is how we see people. Like, if we look at people with hope of how they're going to be, not just right now in the present moment, but what are they going to look like in the next 500 years, if that's how we view life to look like? If I believe God is redeeming their life, I can treat that injustice differently now, because I have a perspective that's beyond this moment. And at the end of those two things, as we hold on, if we can say, and in the present moment, those two things are going to balance me to see the present story now. That I don't need to overreact like a child. That I can act out of mature adult spirituality of the joy of the king that is actively moving right in front of me. And I would say this, what holds us to live and actively in the present moment? How do we stay in that place? How do we do that? Community. Dave's going to talk about community. We get a community around us who keeps speaking life that says, 
Matt, you'll get wristbands too because your dad loves you. This storm doesn't define you because there is better things yet to come. It goes through prayer of realizing, I'm going to pray into this moment because I don't have to control the things I don't need to control anymore. I rest in scripture of a story that's bigger than 41 years. My storyline starts thousands of years ago that I'm a part of. It doesn't start with the last 41 years. So I get into scripture and I commit to a life that says in this present moment, I believe my life is beyond 2022. And it gives us a lens out of practicing with a group of friends of getting our heart expanded Expecting to live from a place that Jesus in the second coming of the Lord defines me rather than the circumstance of the moment. So as I hand off to Dave, I just want us to rest in what practices are actually shaping us to live in the present. And what places are we overreacting where the wristband is actually defining me rather than a perspective of hope and peace and love of a Messiah that's here with us. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.